Welcome to Faith and Family. I'm Andy Bates. It is May, and May is Mental Health Awareness Month. As we cover a variety of, of lifespan topics here on Faith and Family, pertinent to Faithful Family Life, uh, we, we try to address these issues that are important for, uh, for mental health and well-being. And we're going to talk about stress and anxiety today and uh, do that in a way that, that's helpful. We'll, we'll take a look at different types of stress and anxiety today as well. Hope you can stick around for the whole conversation. Thanks to our underwriter, Concordia University, Wisconsin, for supporting this program. You can find out more about Concordia University, Wisconsin, on our website, kfuo.org. Look for the CUW logo in the sponsor section. Joining me in studio today, Janine Liebman. She's a therapist serving as an EAP counselor and consultant with H&H Health Associates here in St. Louis and a, a returning guest here to Faith and Family. Janine, welcome back. Hi, Andy. It's good to be back. Glad to have you in studio today. Thanks for coming over and, and helping us uh, address these topics of, of stress and anxiety and uh, learning about the different types. Joining us also in studio today, Kathy Reesmeyer, licensed professional counselor in private practice. Kathy, welcome. Thank you, Andy, for inviting me. Glad to have you in studio as well. And it's it's been a while since you've been on KFUO. Glad to have you in studio here at uh, at the new studios and uh, on Faith and Family today. Thank you so much. Well, looking forward to learning about uh, about stress and anxiety, different types. I didn't realize there were different. Uh, there was such a a significant difference in types of stress. So just from our notes beforehand and learning about that. Looking forward to learning more today. Tell us a little bit about uh, about your work. We'll start with Kathy. Tell us a little bit about your work as a, uh, as a professional counselor and uh, how you help uh, individuals or families. Specifically, when someone is um, approaching a therapist, you are looking at what are the what are the signs and the symptoms that they are struggling mm-hmm. with so that as a from a therapy standpoint we can try and pinpoint what it is that they are needing to work on so that they can find some relief from the symptoms and so part of that would be uh, doing a history and looking at what is it physio- physiological symptoms that they might be suffering from are often the first sign that most therapists will look at because that helps mm-hmm. us identify what is the level of stress that they might be feeling. Um, and then we kind of backfill from there, uh, but really trying to zero in on what are the main um, responses that they're having to the circumstances of their life. And uh, I would gather you work with, in, in some of uh, some scenarios, you work with church work professionals as well, and we'll get to that uh, later on in the program uh, when we talk about stress and anxiety uh, specific to those in those vocations as well. Janine, tell me a little bit about your work. Well, I do quite a variety of work with the EAP. Um, we work employee assistance program. Um, and so we work with uh, employees, obviously, of our companies. Um, and they'll come to us with uh, all kinds of stress. Honestly, stress is probably the presenting issue in probably 80 to 90% of the people that I work with. And so it's not just the work stress and the work situations, but then a lot of times, of course, people, you can't just shut off your home life. So they bring that home stress into the workplace. And 
vice versa. They go home with um, whatever they were dealing with during the day. So mm-hmm. stress is probably one of our number one issues that we're working with. Um, so I think, as Kathy said, too, kind of recognizing um, not only the emotional, psychological, mental symptoms, but very, very much so the physiological symptoms of stress. And that'll really help us kind of plan that treatment for them. And it can be it can be real short term. I mean, sometimes it's just a matter of a handful of sessions and they're doing a lot better. And sometimes it's a, it's a much longer process. So everyone encounters stress. Absolutely. Right? Yes. Mm-hmm. The, the type of stress and what we do with it, that's where the variables really seem to be. Right. Um, what, how we, how we're equipped to handle that, uh, to respond to that. And, uh, uh, what we do with it, what are the other, you know, the, the varying influences as well that affect that. Tell us, uh, let's talk about the different types of stress. I mean, we know that everybody encounters stress. What are the, the different types of stress? Well, it's, it's important that people realize that positive stress still has the same type of um, responses that we can respond to positive stress in ways that are very similar to a response to negative stress heart rate increasing, we might get stomach upset, again, some physiological Mm -hmm. symptoms, but the positive stress of getting a new job or getting ready to go on vacation, these are all things that we still will have a response to. And then we have the negative stress, what's called distress. So that's where we're dealing with very difficult circumstances. and, and trying to understand that you're still going to have some very significant similar responses. Um, so Janine might be able to expand on that just a little bit. Yeah, we. Um, it's interesting because part of my job with the EAP is we we go into workplaces and we we give presentations and seminars and and I just did one on stress management on last week, um, and and what Kathy's talking about is is so very true. All stress is cumulative. Stress is really just a, by definition is just change or transition, mm-hmm. or a perceived threat. And so our bodies don't recognize the difference between a positive and a negative stress. It's all the same, and so there's a physical logical response that's triggered as soon as we perceive a change or a threat to our environment or to our status quo. And so immediately our bodies release some stress hormones, adrenaline and cortisol, and those have specific um, actions in the brain. And so our body immediately responds with, like she said, higher an increase in, in our, our blood pressure. Um, uh, blood flows more to the muscles. Um, so that we're ready um, to Take kind action. of fight or flight. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and um, also then longer term, there's some effects on our brain. It tends to shut down the um, logical, rational thinking parts of our brain, helps us to react quickly. And so um, all stress, therefore, then is cumulative because uh, you have good things happen, you have negative things happen, but it all piles up. Um, and so if we're going through just a lot of change and transition, doesn't matter if it's good or bad, our bodies are still going to be become stressed. And there's actually a, a scale out there called the Holmes-Rahi scale. And I forget how many items are on it, 50 some items. And they give them a score number. Um, and then you total them up. And uh, that kind of gives you an idea of how stressed out you might be. And there's negatives on there, like losing a spouse, I think is number one, divorce. But then positive things like having a baby, getting married, getting a new job, all of them. So I think it's important when you're kind of assessing your own stress level to be looking at all the changes going on in your life, good and bad. And remember that our bodies can't tell the difference when it's positive or negative. 
negative, we're going to respond in the same way. So what I hear you saying is basically that change basically equals stress. It, it, it presents Correct. stress, whether it's a positive stress or a negative stress. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it presents stress in our body, responds to that stress with the uh, releasing of certain chemicals that cause different reactions in our brain and throughout the, the whole body as well. Mm-hmm. So then what do we do with that? What do we do with that? I, I, I was thinking about how you mentioned that uh, the, the release of those certain hormones can can shut down uh, activity in the, the part of our brain that where logic happens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so with that, we can act quickly, but sometimes illogically. Correct. <laughs> that, that seems to not make sense to me. Doesn't seem logical, but it does in in one sense. I understand if we if we were to stand around and think about something and, and try to to be logical about it, we might not respond exactly. in a way quickly that that would save our life or that of another. Right, you know, and you know, think about like I think about positive stress too. I mean, it, you know, negative, positive, whatever it is, um, it really is adaptive. It really is helpful in some circumstances. Um, you know, if you think about positive stress, um, put it in terms of like football players before a football game, that's a high stress situation. But what that stress does for them is that it gives them energy. It gives them mm-hmm. excitement and enthusiasm. They're ready to go and they're, you know, they would not perform as well without that stress. Um, and so, stress in and of itself it's very a very positive response obviously this is how god designed us um to respond to change and transition and whatever else a threat so um so we need this response it's it's not a bad thing it only becomes harmful if it's extended over long periods of time or if it's something that we perceive we can't deal with which is i think where counseling really can come in helpful what's the difference between stress and anxiety Anxiety is the probably next step from stress. Everyday um, stressors for someone who is feeling overwhelmed or they're unable or don't know how to deal with stressors. Maybe they weren't taught from an early age or perhaps the um, things that they experienced in their earlier life didn't give them the skill set to help them deal with everyday stressors. So then, as Janine said, the cumulative effect of stress then becomes an anxiety reaction. And anxiety has some very specific criteria from a therapeutic standpoint that we would identify for um, a diagnosis if we were going to be seeing someone in our in our office. Um, that cumulative stress building into anxiety would then have more perf- profound um, effects on a person emotionally, physically, um, relationally. Um, their behaviors might be very different uh, physiologically. So you might see signs that they're not sleeping very well. Um, You may have racing thoughts. A lot of different types of things come to play than when you are looking more at at an anxiety reaction. You mentioned that uh, about a a skill set to deal with everyday stresses. What does that skill set look like? How do we develop that that skill set uh, early in life to, to help us deal with everyday stresses? Oftentimes we learn our, our uh, responses from our parents or early um, adults in our life that may or may not have their own skill set. <laughs> and so oftentimes when people are dealing with a more anxiety 
prone response Again, that's where looking from a therapeutic standpoint, we're looking at a history. Where did you learn how to self-soothe? Um, where did you learn how to calm yourself? And those are the types of things from a counselor's standpoint mm-hmm. we would be looking at to help us um, identify what are their skill sets and then how do we help teach them those skill sets. So early, early learning mm-hmm. um, is a very important part of the process. Go ahead. And I think, too, there's also a a lot of times with with a true anxiety disorder, there's a hereditary component. And so, like Kathy was mentioning, the history, it's also important to take a history of the parents and any other relatives that, okay, who else maybe struggled with an anxiety or depression? Oftentimes, those two go hand in hand. So, you may be dealing kind of with both sides of it. Not only did they maybe not learn some of the skills they needed, but then they've also kind of, they're coming by it honestly, you know, naturally. And so there may be just an inherent anxiety disorder as well. So we really have a lot of things to look at and, and kind of help them figure out what skills do you need to learn? Do you need, need to maybe see your doctor? You know, what all is going on here? What can parents do to help their children develop that healthy skill set uh, to cope with stress and, and anxiety? Who wants to take that one? <laughs> well, I think kids really, especially little children, really learn by example, by watching. Mm-hmm. So I think observing how their parents deal with stress themselves. So do they stay calm? Um, do they blow up? Do they hide and withdraw? Um, and how are how are how are we as parents talking about stress? So are we teaching our kids very explicitly? You know what? This may this bad thing may have happened, but we know God is in control, and we're going to pray about it. Or, um, you know, maybe remaining calm and and taking one step at a time and doing things we can um, without dwelling on the things that we can't deal with. Um, so I think you know, but living living that example out, I think, is probably the number one way parents teach their kids. And. And the idea of being able to self-soothe as adults, we learn that from the time that we're very small. And self-soothing taught by the parents is, you know, the hug and the kiss when they fall down and, and skin their hands and knees and helping that child to learn how to have their emotion, have the cry, but also to comfort them and teaching the children as they get older, how do you do that as I get into middle school, into high school, and then hopefully they have those skill sets as taught by their parents. Um, So the self-soothing is a big part. Self-soothing and delaying gratification Mm -hmm. are two things that um, I think oftentimes today are real sticking points and and difficult for parents because society teaches us something very different about self-soothing and delaying gratification. Mm -hmm. So especially delaying gratification. Yes. (laughs) We have a two-year-old at home. (laughs) My wife and I have a two-year-old and uh, delaying gratification is uh, definitely something we're we're coping with right now. Definitely. Mm The idea behind that when we're talking about stress and anxiety is, do you need to have a quick fix because that's what you've always been taught? Or are you willing to do the work and really learn about your body's responses, your emotional and intellectual responses, so that you take the time to really learn and not just go grab a pill? Medication has its place. However, 
um, a lot of doctors prefer someone to learn a little bit more about their own responses and and take the time to learn mm-hmm. rather than just look for the quick fix. Learn some strat- some strategies, and that Correct. may include medication, but mm-hmm. it's Correct. not the only strategy necessary for for many of the circumstances. Correct. Well, okay. And I think, as Kathy is talking about this delaying gratification, do I need to do something now to stop the anxiety? Honestly, that's the root of a lot of addictions. Um, addict- addictions to substances. So whether it's I'm taking this pill because it makes me feel better or this pill because it makes me helps me sleep or this beer or glass of wine because it relaxes me or whatever to process addictions. And these are very real and we're really getting more and more research about process addictions. So, you know, I'm turning to the internet because that that numbs me out. Well, an internet addiction is a real thing. A gambling addiction is a real thing. And so, um, you know, anytime you're really turning to something, whether it's a substance or a behavior, who is really designed to numb out and escape from your situation, you're really kind of playing with the dangerous area. I'm not saying it's it's always a bad thing, but I'm saying there's some danger involved there. We really do need to learn how to deal with our stressors rather than just escape from them. So uh, in order to avoid coping with, with reality, binge watching TV. Well, could be. <laughs> yeah, it's not always wrong, but, right. but, it, but it, there is a danger there, yes. If that becomes your, your regular behavior right. in order to cope with. And if uh, you're avoiding your responsibilities mm-hmm. by doing that. Which, you know, I see a lot in college students, high school and college students, where instead of dealing with the stressful situations they're in, they just turn to their computers, their movies or whatever. And um, and they're really, they're not dealing with reality and then they're not doing so well. So, which of course then adds, it creates mm-hmm. a snowball effect. It becomes more stressful. And just turn to social media and look at everybody else's exactly. problems. Rather than, exactly. <laughs> rather than dealing with your own, uh, mm-hmm. you can you can read about everybody's problems on social right. media, right? Exactly. So there is a difference between stress and anxiety, um, and and how we uh, how we deal with this, and what we teach children about it as well. Um, certainly, it sounds like that happens. What we teach children about it all happens primarily through uh, modeling or through that example that we set. How do we know when uh, stress? is uh, problematic. What are some signs that it's it's problematic and needs to be addressed? It's not just typical stress that that we deal with on a day-to-day basis that we can handle uh, with the with you know the, the everyday resources we have around us. Oftentimes again, it's going to be the physiological responses that are manifesting in a lack of sleep or oversleeping. Um, racing thoughts, the inability to organize your day, something that's very different than what your prior coping style has been, turning to substances, recognizing that you're withdrawing. Um, those are some mm-hmm. of the signs. Yeah, and and I think along with the um, sleep, the appetite too, anytime your physical well-being is affected. So some people will stress eat and eat too much. Some people don't have an appetite when they're real stressed out. Um, I think um, motivation and energy are very affected as well. So 
Um, again, sometimes you're just not motivated to do anything. Your energy is very low or sometimes your energy is very high and you're constantly agitated and restless and can't slow down. So any significant change in your physical well-being, I think, can be a sign. And then Kathy mentioned racing thoughts. I think um, one of the most common complaints I hear from people coming in for help is I can't concentrate. I can't concentrate at work. I can't focus. Um, I can't make decisions. An inability to make decisions um, is a is a real is a real big sign. Um, so again, your your thought processes are affected. Your physical well being is affected. I think that's really the the point. Because if your thinking isn't right, how do you get out of it? How do you deal with it? And and so sometimes they really just need a neutral place to come and be able to say, Hey, wait a minute. You know, let, let's let's really help you unpack what what all is going on here, and then we can help them with that. And that <clears throat> sounds like that by adding another voice to the conversation can change the direction of the conversation. Sometimes when the conversation is with yourself, yeah. <laughs> the the direction of the conversation uh, tends to be downward. Yes, uh, or circular. Downward. Circular, yeah. <laughs> Stuck right. in a circle and mm-hmm. can't get out. Right. And one of the dangers of that is that. A person then feels so isolated and alone and they feel like there's something really wrong with them and they start thinking this is a mental health issue and then they're fearful of what other people might think or what they might say and so that sometimes then um, gets them stuck in that circle and it gets worse and worse before um, they actually reach out. By that time, they're calling the EAP um, or the management is calling the EAP or they're having major physiological problems that land them in their doctor's office. Mm-hmm. Anything else that might be a sign that, uh, whether it's in ourselves or in a loved one or a coworker, that professional help uh, is, is important at this point? I think um, behaviorally, sometimes we don't recognize um, people's attitudes, <laughs> excuse me, when they're stressed, um, they can become much more critical um, of others, maybe, maybe very defensive, almost hostile at times, aggressive. Um, and we typically don't notice that in ourselves. We tend to think, oh, it's your fault. This is everybody else's problem. And so it, it can be very helpful to have an outside person, either someone you'd love and trust um, or a neutral third party like a counselor, an EAP, whatever, um, to say, hey, you know, how have you been responding people lately and really help them see that they're not themselves. Um, it can, Like I said, it's just very hard to recognize when you yourself are the one that's irritable um, as opposed to everybody else's creating problems for you. And then I've had people with unusual, maybe not unusual, but symptoms that they don't recognize as stress, like um, sometimes facial tics or eye twitches or grinding your teeth at night, things like that. Um, when I when I mention this during these these workshops on stress, I'll, I always have some go, oh, I didn't realize that was stress um, because they have it or or sore shoulders, sore neck, um, headaches. You know, they're not connecting the dots that this is probably stress related as well. That the, the sore muscles or or other behaviors like like you said, grinding teeth, uh, all related to the stress that we do it, uh, you know, not necessarily consciously, but, uh, this is a behavior that, that then creates a a discomfort or physical problem. Mm -hmm. 
It's all connected. And really, the more research we, we do, too, the more we find that stress is underlying a, va- a vast majority of illnesses, um, whether it's directly causing it or it's simply exacerbating something that's there. But everything from high blood pressure to diabetes, digestive issues, um, there's just a lot of health problems. They find that, that stress hormones actually cause damage on a cellular level. Um, and so really, you can understand then if you're living in chronic stress, your whole body's going to start breaking down if you don't deal with it. So it's certainly something that, that needs to be dealt with. We're going to talk about how to deal with that uh, when we come back from the break. Uh, are there resources available? What resources uh, are available to many of us when it comes to coping with stress and anxiety? You're listening to Faith and Family on Worldwide KFUO. We'll be back in just a little bit. Concordia University, Mequon, Wisconsin, overlooks the beautiful shoreline of Lake Michigan. This serene main campus of CUW is just 15 miles north of Milwaukee with all its vibrant cultural attractions. At Concordia University, Wisconsin, students living by the motto of inspiration and action can choose from 69 undergraduate majors, 14 master degree programs, and doctorates in pharmacy, physical therapy, and nursing practice. For more information or to take a virtual tour, visit cuw.edu. This is Life Issues with Brad Mattis, president of Life Issues Institute. This topic's appropriate with Mother's Day just behind us. Kim Court was well into her pregnancy when headaches developed. Because she was pregnant, Kim went to the doctor. What they found was devastating. She had two malignant and aggressive brain tumors. Immediate surgery removed them, but she delayed chemo and radiation until after Hyatt was born. Kim and Phil have six kids, three of them adopted siblings, one with serious physical needs. Considering their situation, the doctors, of course, offered abortion, but Kim said no. She put her baby's life above her own, and this isn't an isolated case. Several women make the same courageous stand, but remain hidden heroes. Please pray for Kim and all the other mothers who say no to abortion in these situations. Follow us on Twitter at Life Issues USA and stay informed, more informed than you've ever been. Lord, what impact might I have today? Hi, this is Rich Robertson, President and CEO of the Lutheran Church Extension Fund. Is this a question you ask yourself? Are there times you don't feel fully engaged in sharing the gospel? Your investment with LCEF is used for loans and services that ministry organizations and leaders need to reach their community. Put your money to work within the LCMS and make an impact each day. To learn more, visit lcef.org. Join Lutheran Immigration and Refugee Service and thousands of congregations across the country as they observe Refugee Sunday, a time to celebrate the gifts migrants and refugees bring to the United States. Pick a Sunday that works best for your congregation to celebrate. New resource kits, including bulletin insert and poster, will be available soon. Sign up for our newsletter at lirs.org slash rebuildinghope. Hi. 
Hi, I'm Andy Bates, host of Faith and Family on Worldwide KFUO, and I'd like to let you know about a new free resource to assist you and your family as you join together in prayer. Visit lcms.org forward slash unwrapping the gifts to find litanies, table graces, and more to support you in your times of prayer as a family. That's lcms.org forward slash unwrapping the gifts. Do you enjoy using good old snail mail? writing a letter, a postcard, or using a typewriter to do the same? Why not send Worldwide KFUO your letter today? Our street address is Worldwide KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. And just a click away, 24 hours a day, you can find our contacts page at kfuo.org. If you have a question about the LCMS, contact the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Church Information Center and you'll be connected with a real person who can help you find the answer. Call 1-888-THE-LCMS or 1-888-843-5267 or email them infocenter at lcms.org. Helping you with your questions and finding you resources. The LCMS Church Information Center. Welcome back to Faith and Family. I'm Andy Bates. It is Mental Health Awareness Month, and we are talking about stress and anxiety today with Janine Liebman, a therapist serving as EAP counselor and consultant with H&H Health Associates here in St. Louis, and Kathy Reesmeyer, licensed professional counselor in private practice in St. Louis. And uh, before we went to break, we were talking about stress and anxiety and how it affects us, uh, uh, what's the difference between uh, stress and anxiety, and uh, when is it time to... Uh, for an intervention, whether it's for us, for a loved one, for a coworker, how do we uh, how do we know when we need to um, when we need professional assistance, whether it's um, counseling or uh, making use of other resources? What are the resources that many of us have available uh, that to help us with stress and anxiety? I, I often refer people to their primary care physician. Mm-hmm. That's a good first step. There's typically an established relationship that they can feel comfortable talking about what is being affected in their life. Uh, from there, they might refer to a counselor or refer someone back to their insurance company. That 800 number or 866 number on the back of your insurance card that talks about mental health or behavioral health can be a great resource as a first stop asking for um, what you need, describing a little bit about what you're feeling and experiencing, and then they can help connect you with a therapist in the area. And then um, specifically for Lutheran church workers and their families, um, and most most companies have some some kind of employee assistance program um, for for church workers. My my husband is a Lutheran pastor, and so we have this available to us as well. Um, but um, Cigna is our our mental health. Um, 
insurance carrier and they provide EAP. And, and for those of you who don't know about EAP, it's a wonderful, wonderful program. Um, basically, it's free counseling for um, for the employee and typically for their family members. And it's, it's supposed to be short term. So mm-hmm. um, you have limited number of sessions, but you can, it's a great place to start if you have, you don't know what exactly is going on or you don't know exactly what what you need and what resources. Um, it's a great place to start. You call that number, you can get set up with the counselor and, and start seeing them at no cost to you. And it also doesn't go through your insurance. So the nice thing is if you're not sure what you have going on, nothing's going to be put in your medical record. There's going to be no diagnosis given. It's a great place to start. And typically EAP counselors are pretty well networked. And so they know, again, is it time for you to see your primary care doctor? Maybe I think you might need to see a psychiatrist and here's some names. Um, here's some longer term therapists you can see, or even a, a more intensive counseling program. Um, intensive outpatient programs are around the area. And that's a more intensive, maybe two to four week program where they get um, more hours of counseling in a day, access to nurses and doctors. So um, I think those EAP benefits are tremendously helpful to to people. And like I said, especially for church workers and their families, they need to understand that they're available. What, uh, now, since we're talking about church work professionals, how might church work professionals experience stress uh, or anxiety? How might that be different than than other vocations? Janine and I both worked at Concordia Seminary here in St. Louis in their counseling center for many years. And so from the first year student up to, you know, staff, professors, stress is just, again, a part of our everyday existence and church workers are not immune. They're human beings Mm -hmm. and they are dealing with a great um, sense of responsibility for a person's uh, spiritual life. And then pastors and other church workers are often a resource for people as well. So um, people will go to their pastor, they will go to a deaconess or a teacher and say, I'm dealing with this issue or that issue. And so the pastors, teachers, and others are themselves maybe being overwhelmed by the needs that are presented to them. So um, as human beings, we all need to have those outlets so that we can have someone walk alongside us to find uh, resources for what we're struggling with. And a lot of times too, um, pastors, teachers, deaconesses, they are trained, but they are not trained professional counselors. So maybe they've taken a few classes on it, but they are not fully equipped to deal with, say, a melting down marriage or some other really significant issues. And so that that's a heavy burden on them. Um, and as Kathy said, too, it's not just people's physical or emotional well-being, it's their spiritual well-being. So it, it, there's, there's, I think there's a much... Um, more significant burden there. Um, And then speaking as a pastor's wife, um, you know, when my husband has work stress that that affects our family because that that is our church family that's our church home Mm -hmm. 
And so I think that maybe there's another dimension to it. Um, and then in addition to that, you know, where do pastors and their wives talk about work stress? You really can't talk about that at work. Um, you really can't talk about that necessarily with your friends, um, certainly not friends right there in the church. So I think there's an element of, of maybe isolation involved in it, um, as well as, you know, not wanting to uh, damage relationships or put, you know, barriers in the way. And so sometimes it can be very challenging for uh, clergy and, and, and other church workers and their families to get the help that they really need. Plus, there's still a stigma with mental health issues. And so, you know, I've had many people, many Christian people say, well, I shouldn't be dealing with anxiety. The Bible says, do not be anxious about anything. So there's a whole guilt factor with that. And, you know, the reality is we are all, as Kathy said, we're all humans. We all deal with these things. We need to recognize when it's time to get help. We wouldn't hesitate to see a doctor if we had diabetes. We probably wouldn't hesitate to, hesitate to take the medication that they recommend if we have diabetes. Why do we hesitate to take medication or get the help for an anxiety problem or a mood problem or something like that. So we, we've got a lot of work to do, I think, in still breaking down some of those barriers. As, as church professionals, quite often, I think uh, you, were, uh, you both pointed this out, that, that we quite often bear the burdens that, that others uh, bring to us, you know, that uh, we share and, and bear the burdens of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And as a church professional, kind of the kind of that central point where a lot of those those burdens come, and and we bear those. And and give in our given vocations as church professionals, uh, respond to them as we've been trained to do, uh, applying the the Word of God where it uh, should be applied appropriately, but also understanding where that that uh, you know, where that line is, what I'm equipped to do as a church professional, and when I need to make a referral to a, a mental health professional as well, where I'm I'm equipped in, in some ways for counsel, but uh, also need to be ready to, to make that referral and know when is the difference between, uh, you know, my counseling that, that I can provide as a, as a church professional versus what a, a mental health professional can really provide. And Knowing when to make that call and when to make a referral is certainly important. Mm-hmm. And knowing when uh, when I'm stressed and how to handle that is certainly important. Um, we talked a, a bit earlier about EAPs. Church workers have access to many church workers who in, in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod have access to an EAP mm-hmm. uh, that, that can help them as well. Mm-hmm. Just making that phone call and not sure, you know, maybe we're not sure what it is that we how we even need to go about getting help, but just making that initial phone call can be very, can be the key step. Right. And like Kathy said, it's typically on the back of your insurance card. And I believe for church workers, it says, it actually says EAP on it. And so it's just, you make one phone call and that starts the process. So taking advantage of that resource is certainly important. And the other resources that might be helpful, other ways that uh, church workers might go about responding to or coping with that stress or anxiety they might deal with. And I do want to follow up on the EAP. Some some church workers may not have access to the EAP because not all church workers have the Concordia plan. Sure. So if they are on their spouse's insurance, they can check for behavioral health or mental health um, services, again, through their insurance. There are local... Um, 
there are local agencies that might offer reduced rate if they are in a more rural environment. Some EAPs are actually offering um, phone counseling through Skype or through FaceTime um, for especially church workers and their family members who might be in more rural environments. You're not as likely to go call on the mental health professional down the street because of the idea of um, the the um, be known mm-hmm. in the community. So it is something to to look at as well. Sure, I didn't think about that being in a small community mm-hmm. that uh, if you're looking for, uh, you know, to maintain privacy, not that the, the professional isn't maintaining privacy, but just by virtue of traveling there and, and, mm-hmm. and being in a you know, particular location, room. right, the waiting mm-hmm. room. Yeah, you can uh, face that. So it's amazing how technology can can make resources more available to us, make these resources more accessible. Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah, telepsychiatry or telehealth is, is a burgeoning um, uh, idea and it's really growing and, and you know, not just uh, Skype and the FaceTime, but the, these platforms that are truly HIPAA compliant. And so they're, they're completely secure, they're completely private and confidential. And it's a great solution, I think, for people who are in those remote or rural locations, or if they simply don't have a schedule that allows them, or maybe they're, they're sick or they're caring for a sick loved one or something like that, they can't get out of the home. Um, wonderful, wonderful resources and more and more EAPs and insurance companies are offering them and paying for them. What can congregations do for church workers to help them uh, deal with, or if if you sense that your your pastor, your teachers, or deaconess, or DCE, or other church workers might be experiencing stress or anxiety, what can what can congregations do, Kathy? Thank you for the opportunity to talk about this. This is a really important part of helping our church workers and their families. Um, Most of the districts for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod actually have uh, committees that are looking at that very issue. Missouri District has one. There are many, many districts across the country that are addressing this very thing. So you can go to your district website and see if there's a committee for professional church worker and their family's health. So that is, that's one factor. And then for congregations to make it a specific goal to pray for their church workers very specifically, they are being attacked. I mean, this is, this is something that we know that there's going to be spiritual attacks. So praying for not just your church workers, but for their families as well. And then making it a specific um point to provide resources for them, whether that is something like what the Missouri District did recently, which is put together a team of chaplains for the church workers for the district. That um, that information is available on the Missouri District website. So the congregations um, can let their pastors and church workers know something like this is available. Janine, you probably have a few other things that would be helpful. Well, there are a lot of um, clergy and spouse retreats across the country. Um, I know uh, just a few Grace Place is a good one. Doxology is one for pastors. 
Um, there's a ranch out in Arizona that is a, a more therapeutic retreat. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of them. And, you know, I think it's so important for church workers and their spouses to be able to get away. And so to provide time for that, and if there can be some other extra support for that as well, it, I, I know it's very appreciated and very needed um, for for pastors to really, truly get away. Because I, I know even on their days off, they're not really off. They they still get phone calls. They still get texts. They still get emails. Um, and so it's really important for them to physically take that break and get away. And so however a church can support that, I think that's important. It, church workers may feel like they have to ask for those things. Mm-hmm. They may have to feel like they may have to ask their elders, their congregation for those things. It, it seems to me it would make sense if we as congregations made made those so readily available, you know, pastor, we, we've put in the budget for this, you know, if you would like to, uh, to take you, you know, make use of this uh, for you and your family, for you and your spouse, uh, to, you know, to, to attend one of these retreats, uh, and, and here are some of the, the options to make those readily available for our church workers, uh, not only benefits the church worker, but in the end also benefits the congregation too. Absolutely. When your church workers are healthy and their families are healthy and they, they have a healthy family life, uh, they're better equipped to serve, aren't they? Absolutely, and providing childcare if the you know the couple wants to get away, mm-hmm. um, and also in that same vein too, being proactive and also offering ongoing education because pastors need ongoing education too. It's not just the you know the retreats and that that spiritual care and, and emotional care which they need, but also ongoing education because that keeps them fresh too and it keeps them invigorated, I think, and, and excited about their work. So, and mm-hmm. I appreciate your your um, understanding that it. Most clergy aren't going to ask for that themselves, and so if that can be uh, just a regular part of how a congregation takes care of their their pastors and church workers, I think that's a wonderful idea. And we can't forget all the other church workers that it's not just your pastors. You've got deaconesses, you've got DCEs, you've got you know all kinds of people, mm-hmm. um, musicians, teachers, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that church secretary. <laughs> yep. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> and Dr. Bruce Harktung wrote a book called Holding Up the Prophet's Hands. And that book is all about how a congregation can come together and develop a team to um, support the church workers. And um, it was a, a very, very good read for the committee for the Missouri District for the Missouri district to look at how do we model this for the congregations within the district. So he has covered that in a really wonderful way. And it's encouraged that congregation members possibly pick that up or the leadership in a congregation to look at how do we put together a team Mm -hmm. to help our church workers um, stay healthy. This isn't, and, and by putting together a team, it sounds to me like this is something that is not a, a, a huge commitment that you're you're meeting every week and and, and you know, spend exhausting lots of resources on this, but uh, simply giving some some thought and attention and uh, some resources to uh, caring for your church worker. Mm-hmm. And and the trust that comes from a congregation group of congregation members working specifically 
to help the teachers and the deaconesses and the pastors that there's a level of trust there and confidentiality as part of that team effort so that a pastor knows that he has trusted members that he can go to when he says, I'm burnt out, I'm overwhelmed, or a deaconess who says, I need help, I need to take a step away for a week. Um, I need to take care of some physical health issues. So again, a, a team is about trust and building on that trust to support the church workers as they're taking care of their overall health very specifically. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I think uh, before we went on the before we came on the air today, you mentioned a, a resource that we might point some of our Missouri District folks to, right, on the Missouri District website. Correct. So the Missouri District uh, staff um, and their family members can go to the Missouri District website, which is mo.lcms.org. And under the services tab, there is a section called Church Worker and Family Health. In that section, you have information about the care team, the church worker care team, which are the five chaplains, including a deaconess, who are available for the church workers of the Missouri District. Um, There's also a section on the EAP, uh, specifically the Cigna EAP, and several other resources for the church workers and their families to look at. Helpful resources. I just pulled it up right now. Well, that's pretty neat. Yeah, a lot of resources there. And an amazing man by the name of Gene Wisman, <laughs> who is the who is the anchor of of our committee and uh, quite an amazing man. He himself is a therapist. He's a licensed clinical social worker and a pastor. And um, he is a, a wealth of information and a really incredible man. And a busy man making his way all around the state. Yes, he travels he all the time to uh, serve as a great resource to the Missouri District. Yeah, the the, uh, the church worker care team and uh, a number of other things listed here on the, the website. That's a, a great resource. We'll provide a link with the archive of today's program for those here in the Missouri District. And as you mentioned, a lot of districts have similar resources that uh, help us provide support and encouragement for our church workers. Yes. As we uh, we have about five minutes here to uh, to wrap up, other topics that are, are pertinent to this uh, these issues of or other things you want to address today when it comes to stress or anxiety, whether it be for the church professional or for anyone, uh, other topics that either of you want to make sure that we address today. I would like to um, mention that panic disorder is sort of anxiety on steroids. Hmm. Right, you go from stress to anxiety, anxiety oftentimes, not oftentimes, sometimes can turn into a panic response. And that again is a very, very specific physiological response. And so if someone has already reached a place of panic, my strong encouragement would be for them to seek out the help of their medical provider or a therapist who has experience in dealing with that level of anxiousness that has tipped over into panic. It can be very debilitating Mm -hmm. and um, very, very... um, um, scary. What? How would you describe that? Uh, can you give us an example of what that might be like? That that 
panic experience. We might not realize it till we step back and look at it, but what, what types of things might happen or what might we experience or feel? That is a heart-pounding, body-shaking, mind-racing mm-hmm. experience, and you feel like you need to go to the emergency room. It feels not dissimilar to symptoms of a heart attack, and a lot of people end up in the emergency room because they feel that that's what's happening. So in this whole spectrum of you know stress to anxiety, anxiety to panic, um, it's important for people to realize it can go to that direction and to, um, to pay attention and to seek the help that they need. Janine, any other other thoughts today? Sure. Um, uh, when I when I work with uh, a new client on anxiety, one of the first things we we talk about is scaling your anxiety, um, like a one to ten scale. So one is things are going pretty well. I'm pretty good. Ten is that panic that Kathy was talking about. I need to be in the emergency room. Um, and going back to the whole idea that these stress hormones can affect our brain and our thought processes, I tell them, you know, typically when you're at a four, five, and six on that anxiety scale, you can still function pretty well and you can think pretty clearly. Once you kind of cross that threshold to a seven, eight, or nine, that's when you, your, your thought processes become affected and you're not going to be able to think yourself out of that at, at that point. So what I, what I teach my clients pretty early on is we call them grounding techniques or mindfulness is kind of the buzzword out there today. But it's really the whole idea behind that is to get out of your head. Because if you think about when you're anxious and your thoughts are racing, you, you're, you're dwelling on these, these thoughts. Typically, they have to do with the future. What if this happens? What if that happens? How am I going to deal with that? Um, or, we, or we're dwelling on the past. You know, why did I do it that way? If only I had done this. And so the goal is to get us mindful of the present moment. And if we can bring our thoughts and our focus into that present moment, we're probably going to bring that anxiety down. And one of the quickest ways to do that is to focus on our physical well-being, our physiology. We've talked about that many times today, but um, you're not going to stop worrying or being anxious simply because you tell yourself to stop. That's never worked as far as I know. Um, It's like telling a two-year-old child to stop crying. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) It doesn't work. We don't really have that control, but what we do have control over is, is our bodies at that point. And so slow down my breath and consciously slow down your breathing and take deep, slow breaths and just focus all your attention on those breaths. Or I typically tell people, if you're stressed in the moment, go change the scenery, go step outside, go notice what's going on. Is it sunshine and warm? Is it rainy and cool? What does it feel like? What does it sound like right now? What does it smell like? Beautiful smells of flowers and things outside. And that will bring you into that present moment and out of your head, which typically will bring that anxiety down. And then the next piece of that. Um, for those of us who just are in awe of God and his nature and creation, how can you not um, surround yourself and, and really notice what's going on around you and, and, and outside in nature and not be in awe and have some gratitude, which again, then helps bring that anxiety down. So um, really that whole idea of being mindful of the present moment and grounding yourself into your, I basically through your five senses into the moment can really be a, a, a helpful technique to lower that anxiety in the moment. And that changes what's going on with our body exactly. in order to help us focus and then respond it's all in a much connected. more helpful way. Mm-hmm. Well, this has been very helpful to me. I hope uh, for our listeners as well. We'll provide a link to that uh, to the Missouri District 
uh, resource that you, you mentioned earlier, Kathy, as well. Thanks so much for being my guest today and sharing these uh, these insights with us. Janine Liebman, therapist serving as EAP counselor and consultant with H&H Health Associates here in St. Louis. Janine, thanks for being my guest today. Mm-hmm. You're welcome. It's fun. Uh, Kathy Reesmeyer, a licensed professional counselor in private practice here in St. Louis. Thanks so much for being my guest today. Thank you, Andy. Coming up in just a little bit, thy strong word. You're listening to his to Worldwide KFUO, the messenger of good news. Listen to Faith and Family Monday through Friday at this time. Faith and Family is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is needed for Faith and Family to continue. Our address is 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can contact us on the web and download Faith and Family at KFUO.org. Worldwide KFUO, on the air, online, and on demand.